All right, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Cameron Pitsby. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. It's Thursday afternoon. We've got a game six on deck. And to break it all down, we bring back to the podcast comedian Gary Goldman. Gary, how are you? Excellent. How are you guys? We're good. We're we're steady and we're even keeled and we give no slant, no rants coverage about the Boston Celtics here. Good. Um, but, pri- but privately, uh, I'm on cloud nine. Uh, <laughs> privately. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Privately. Um, Gary, you are on your tour, born on third base. You're going to be in Portland and Seattle this weekend and in LA in the coming weeks. Can you give us 30 seconds about this tour just to move the product? Well, I'm, I'm at the top of my game. I <laughs> am. I mean, it, if there were any justice, I'd be a household name. But if there were any justice, Seattle would have an NBA franchise. So there's when I get to Seattle, there's we'll commiserate on on the underratedness of our of our essence. Seattle is such an underrated city, and then Portland. There, I mean, they have they have great fans there. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm going to play basketball. I'm going there to entertain. But I I I connect to those cities regarding their their 1970s basketball teams which is the last time they won a won a championship it's, it's gonna be heartbreaking at least portland's still in the in the nba franchise game well gary you've only got about like two more years of that kind of material left because it sounds like the supersonics might be coming back oh i hope so <laughs> i hope so i'm I, my fingers my fingers are are crossed and uh it was it was such a great franchise and they and they had great players and Awesome uniforms. I I miss them. Yeah, it's a it's a cutthroat business environment with um, those nice Starbucks people up there. I guess. Um, so we're going to talk about the Celtics, not the Supersonics. Uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, Gary, you were here to talk to us a little bit about Game Five and then to look ahead at Game Six. Um, but we're going to pause for a second. And if uh, people are not game, please feel free to use the fast forward button. You didn't sign up for a quick conversation about Texas. Um, but it's all in all of our minds. So we wanted to each just like air a thought or at least some of us anyways. So if you sign up for a sports podcast, just hit that fast forward button a little bit. Um, and if you're down for the cause, we just thought that that was more important. Um, so I'll start and say that uh, as a teacher, um, one of the things that's been weird is a lot of people check in on me to see how I'm doing. And I really appreciate that, but I also don't want you to compartmentalize this tragedy. Um, it's not a tragedy for teachers and children. It's a tragedy for everyone. Um, so I appreciate very much so the, the warm wishes. Um, but I, I offer that if you're not a teacher or a child, that um, you owe it to yourself to grieve and to feel fear as much as I'm sure I do. Um, so thank you for all the West, well wishes that I did receive. But um, as a teacher, I think I would, I would encourage people to expand their, their thinking there. Um, so again, I, I, I'm kind of blitzing you all with this. If you have a thought about Texas, it felt more important than hoops. And then we'll get back to hoops. Yeah, Justin. So as a former teacher, there has been a general decline in the lack of support in that profession that has been going on for some time that has also been colliding with gun violence and a bunch of other issues I'm not going to talk about today. But what I do want to point to is empiricism. 
we can, you know, I'm an anthropologist by trade. That's what my PhD is in. If you need to know something about from a doctor about, you know, Max Struess's hamstring, I am not your guy. But when it comes to culture, I can tell you that human nature does not exist. It's relatively plastic. We have all kinds of different cultures and a, you know, ethnic sense as much as we do. Um, it's like, like a workplace sense, right? So for teachers, there's a culture that is distinctly American compared to where I live here in Mexico. Now, the thing about that is here in Mexico, we have a lot of guns. We have a lot of guns that come from the United States. They come from the lax gun laws that y'all have up there in the United States. And even though we have an incredibly high amount of violence in certain parts of Mexico, as a whole, Mexico as a country, we don't have school shootings. They do not happen. Now, the thing that is the case here is if you decide you want to do a school shooting, you're going to have to go find a cartel member to sell you a bunch of guns because you aren't getting them from any other place, realistically. And if you do want to get a gun legally, it takes a long time and it takes a careful process. Go around the rest of the world, use empiricism, see the countries that used to have these kinds of events happening fairly frequently, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, Australia, these things happen in those places. They don't anymore. I yeah, ask you, just let me finish. I ask you to go out, do your own research, find the places with the rules that seem to have prevented these things and advocate for that, or at least get a better understanding of how things work at a human level. Yeah. And to that end, uh, I am I am also a teacher on this pod. If you're listening to this pod, there's a lot of teachers who feel pretty strongly about this. But um, I am a history teacher specifically. And so uh, the kind of thing that comes to mind when thinking about all of this is that, Justin, you're absolutely right. I think that um, going around to other countries and thinking about kind of why it, this is such a uniquely American problem is a really important uh, thing that I would really strongly encourage everybody to do. Um, if you do that, I think a couple of things that you're going to find is this. Um, uh, the United States has... A, has always had, frankly, a deeply problematic relationship with the Second Amendment. Um, and this is a kind of thing that people like Ted Cruz and the NRA and Greg Abbott uh, have been hiding a behind for, and Rick Scott and all of these people who are getting media coverage right now have been uh, hiding behind for decades and centuries and much longer. And it lets me perfectly unabashedly clear about this. If you are talking about the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms in this country, you cannot talk about the Second Amendment without talking about the fact that the Second Amendment was primarily in the Constitution as a tool to put down slave rebellions, as a tool to arm white people and maintain their power and their um, strength as a majority uh, rule in this country, no matter what. Uh, you just, you cannot talk about it and do that any sort of historical justice. So when we're talking about things like critical race theory, or when we're talking about um, thinking about how, you know, these things are all connected and they all kind of weave together in a very like tightly knit and important social fabric, why we need to study these things, why schools need to be at the forefront of teaching kids about the real history of the United States. It's because of stuff like this. It's because people to this day are using 
the Second Amendment and their beliefs around it and their reverence for it without placing it in anywhere close to the proper historical context that it needs to be placed in and using it to justify or at least shy away from taking any sort of action on mass atrocities that can and should be prevented and are prevented by nearly every other country in the world, specifically because they do not have this relationship with the constitutions, with the Second Amendments. They don't treat things as if uh, we should be listening to laws that were written in the 1780s. They have fluid, adaptable legal systems made by people in the moment to protect people right now. Yeah. Um, so, Gary, I, I DM'd you at the, at the height of a Celtics game. So this is a surprise, I'm sure, to you. Um, so no obligation to share a thought, but I'm sure you have thoughts on your mind. Um, no, of course. And I, I, I thought you all spoke so eloquently about it. And and Alex, that, that was uh, really insightful and something that I've been thinking about so frequently is the is the, just the, the nature of the racism involved historically in this and and also just the the idea that we we are are following this this law that that really has no it's not applicable to the the current situation with the power of the guns and the and the the, the bullet when the, when all that was written there was no there was no bullet yeah well you you had to take so long to reload and and to compare it to what they have available now in terms of assault rifles and and i i just found it very interesting that i thought i thought the president gave an excellent speech with the with the right amount of of fury and 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 anger about this uh, despite the fact that mediocre comedians are saying that he's not coherent and that he's not he's not a able to, to be in public or give speeches, I mean it's such nonsense. And but also the closer to to our our field, the 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 speech that that Coach Kerr gave before that game, it's exactly how we we the right-minded people are feeling how how does basketball matter in in this that that we live in a country where the 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 whole thing about protecting our children is so disingenuous when you when you think they're trying to protect the kids from hearing the word gay or slavery but they're not trying to protect them from from assault rifles or or attacks by gunmen it's it's just so disingenuous and and it's infuriating and and the the other source of of just perfect pitch contextual assertion was the the onion which is a, yeah. a satirical yeah. newspaper saying nothing could be done says the only country where this where this happened which which echoes what you said cam that this is the only only country and 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 you doctor regarding mexico uh, i mean the 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 idea that we throw up our hands and say well nothing can be done and and the one half of our two-party system 
is is completely indebted to this to this group that is preventing us from from having common sense protection of 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 children and teachers and grocery shoppers and and j- just it's 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 infuriating um so again this is a basketball podcast and we we don't want to we didn't sign first of all gary we didn't sign you up for this but we didn't sign the listeners up for this um and one thing that i i said to my students was i don't get to tell you how to grieve and so i'm going to give you a moment to reflect but if your emotional process is to carry on that's valid too um so i think a lot of people do find solace in distractions like sports um, because this is a big systems-wide issue um so to that end Gary, we would love to have you on in the off season and do this for hours. Um, but to the benefit of our listeners, because not everyone wants to swim in these waters again and again and again, uh, we'll keep it moving. But um, hopefully th- th- this was impactful for some people. And I think at least for us, it was emotionally honest to make mention that this is more important to us than basketball. Um, Gary, I'm going to use a visual gag to get us out of this, this uh, moment. Um, tell I was us about wondering the, how you're going to segue out of this, man. Um, I'm going to ask Gary to tell us about the poster that's behind him. So, um, okay, so for the for the YouTube crowd, this is going to work. For the audio crowd, hang tight a little bit longer. <laughs> right. My my friend Matthew Glover, who's this incredibly talented artist, this is colored pencil. Holy crap! And, really? Yeah, and it, I I mean it looks it looks like a, a photograph, but he gave this to me as a present after I sold out Carnegie Hall earlier this year. And, and what I've been doing, and uh, I know this will sound childish and, and superstitious, but I, I put it in front of the TV so that he can watch the game with me. And since I did it, when we were down 3-2 to the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, we've, we've been 5-0 and since I, since I watched with him also watching. I was on the road for two losses in the Miami series. So he he can't be uh, blamed for those because the the TV wasn't on. I was I was away, and my my wife doesn't watch the Celtics when I'm away. She only watches it with me. Um, I think because I'm I'm part of the entertainment of watching the Celtics <laughs> for her. In that I Same first here. of all I I watch it muted because I can't stand anything anybody says on the these broadcasts. Mark and Mike and 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 and. Van Gundy, they they infuriate me, and and I'm a huge Mike Green fan. I can't I can't tolerate Mark or or Jeff Van Gundy, but together it's it's just a a, a nightmare of bad jokes and just uh, trying hard to be funny rather than insightful. And and I if if they're friends of yours, I I hope you intervene and tell them to knock it off because they're they're be either insightful or 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 shut up. I don't want to hear you make bad jokes. They're not even dad jokes. They're just bad jokes. They're just awful. And, and they force their humor on me. And, and so I mute the whole game and then I'm just, I'm screaming at the refs and I'm more, I'm worse than Heinsohn, man. There's not a, there's not a call on the, on the Celtics that I, that I think is, is fair. I mean, every once in a while, it's, it's just so obvious and beyond the pale, but for the most part, I feel like that even in, in, in the previous game when the Celtics seemed to be getting all the calls, I, I, I felt that, that it was, uh, uh, it was finally even handed. I mean, 
we love a homer on this. I mean, I said at the top, no slant, no rant, but I didn't apply that to you. So let it rip. Um, let's do this. Anyone who's listening now knows that the Celtics won game five, 93 to 80, which is a throwback score. Um, so we don't have to spend too much time on that. What I'm going to do, Gary, I'll give you first bite at the apple. I'm just going to invite each of us to name a player and talk about a player for 30 seconds to a minute, say whatever you want about that player, good or bad. So Gary, a Celtics player or a Heat player that you'd like to talk about of your choosing, off you go. Uh, I would I would like to talk about Jalen Brown and and how impressive his game was. And and I will say early on I was I was frustrated by some of the the turnovers, but he doesn't seem to ever get frustrated. He's a guy who I don't mind taking that fifth three after he's missed four. I just, mm-hmm. I just know he believes in himself and the, the, the dunk was so emphatic and, and so beautiful and so timely. And the, the, the threes on the wings were, were so Im- impressive. And I, I just also, the, the thing that, that I, I loved is I love every interview he's ever, ever given. And he gave such a, a, a terrific interview after the, after the game, I, I was so pleased that they chose him to be the, they usually choose the guy who had the, the biggest game for the, for the immediate interview. And, and I was so glad that they chose him because I, I, I think he's been so underrated all along and, and so valuable and plays such great defense and, and hustles. And so I, I, I imagine other people will want to talk about uh, Derek White or Al Horford, but I, I just, uh, sometimes I'll, uh, uh Jalen gets lost in the shuffle because he he does what you expect of him many many a night. So you just you take him for granted. But I, I he just has, has such a, a a beautiful game, and also I I, I just know what it, what he's done year in year out off off the court in in terms of activism and and being a, a using his his platform to to get across his values, ethics, and philosophy. So I just, I, I admire him to, to a very high degree. All right. He's off the board. Justin, you go next. Yeah. I was going to say I'm a big Jalen Brown fan also for all the same reasons you laid out. And he was the person who I really wanted to talk about. You definitely burned me there, but <laughs> I have an out. Uh, and that out would be Ime Udoka. He may not be a player, but he needs to be, addressed in how he specifically singled out Jalen and gave him a fair but tough discussion of at least how he represented it after the game about how he was like you're you're hearing the crowd and you're acting surprised after five games that they're poking the ball out from behind you you've got to control the ball better than that and to his credit as far as I'm aware he did not turn the ball over at all in the second half yeah Uh, so that is a microcosm of how Ime Udoka has been excellent at reading this series. I even heard Mo DeKeel on one of the athletic podcasts today uh, say that he thinks, and this is about the highest praise you're going to get as a first-year coach, other than, I guess, winning it all, that he outcoached uh, Spo, Eric Spolstra, in this contest. So to be honest with you so far, granted the tools that Spolstra has been working with have not been in, shall we say, the best working order, but... To date, from 
a very microcosm level of a, a person-to-person relationship like we see with Jalen to how he's managing the entire roster and making in-game adjustments as, as the series goes on um, has been very impressive to watch. Love it. Yeah, really, really quickly, um, Grant started over Rob at the second half of game five, and Grant said an interview is because Rob is using the toilet. Um, Justin, do you know if that's true or if he was being funny? I think that the official response that was said elsewhere that he was getting stretched out again, which might also be... That might happen when you use the bathroom sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Alex, give me a player from game five. Well, uh, I mean, you set me up for a perfect segue, which is that I think um, in actuality, what might have happened there, and I think Grant may have been covering, uh, I think there was there is an implication, at least on Bill Simmons' podcast today, that this is what happened, is that Ime actually made a tactical adjustment in bringing Grant in uh, to start, um, primarily because he wanted Robert Williams, uh, I think, to be able to come in and overwhelm P.J. Tucker when the Celtics uh, went up against Miami's small ball unit whenever Bam was off the floor. And to that end, I would like to talk about Robert Williams because Robert Williams came in last night and while he only played 27 minutes and his knee is definitely still not perfect by any means, I thought he looked the best that he has looked in this series. Um, He was crashing the glass uh, from a very early point in the game when the Celtics couldn't get anything going offensively. One of the few things that worked for them was Robert Williams just clearing out space under the basket and finding ways to be impactful. And then in the second half, he put on a defensive master class. Now, obviously, Derek White, Al Horford, all of those guys played great defense as well. And Miami certainly had their fair share of offensive troubles. But I think a big part of that is that Robert Williams was an absolute menace, closing out on shots, calling out screens. I mean, the thing that really struck me is that Rob was talking a lot on the floor in a way that I thought was really impactful. He was reading uh, Miami's offense and he was making kind of micro adjustments in the moment. Um, There was a play, the play which he blocked PJ Tucker's uh, three point shot from the corner, which was insane. Um, if, If you go through that play and actually watch what Rob is doing, he knows what's coming. He reads the play from the jump. Um, he calls it out to uh, Jalen and Marcus on the perimeter. Um, the swing goes to Duncan Robinson in the corner. Um, but because Rob has called that out, uh, Duncan Robinson's driving to the rim and uh, he's getting closed out on in a way that would not be a good layup attempt for Duncan Robinson. And uh, because Rob is shading over like he's going to block a shot. So... Duncan Robinson does what any small white guy would do in this point, which is pass the ball to PJ Tucker in the corner. Uh, And then Rob immediately read that sprinted out from underneath the rim and got a finger on PJ's shot. I mean, that's just such an incredibly high level defensive read to make and to see Rob put his athleticism and his IQ together in that way. I mean, I, I just can't say enough about how much of a difference maker he was last night. Yeah, Rob seems to be the, the guy who uh, neutralizes Bam Adebayo, who was uh, a minus 23 on the evening last night. Um, I want to shout out Al Horford. Um, I said the last podcast he was going to be the X factor for the game. And I don't know that he was the X factor, but the first half didn't look great for the Celtics. Um, they looked like a young team, as well they might. Um, but Al Horford is 35 years old. He is a veteran, and he continued to play steady. He continued to make plays. 
Um, and I think that that's a critical stabilizing force, especially with smart, clearly on the mend. Um, so I think, uh, Gary, you're right. Jalen went and won that game. Um, and we'll talk about Tatum in a moment, but, um, I really think that Al Horford's stability was, uh, impressive. And I mean, two blocks, 16 points, seven rebounds, something like that. I mean, he also impacted the game straight up. Uh, shout out to Derek White. We love Derek White on this podcast. Um, and shout out to Jason Tatum, who just became the second youngest player to reach 1,500 playoff points since Kobe Bryant. Wow. Um, I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, for a 10-second historic player comp to Jason Tatum. And I'm going to stall by doing an ad read. So you have the ad read to come up with an idea. Um, so let's pause the action and talk about our friends at betonline.ag. Our partners over at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting, and of course, your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Just head to the website today or use your mobile device. When you sign up, use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts. All right. I'll give you a little bit more of a stall and I'm going to say something crazy. Jason Tatum reminds me of Steph Curry. The, he pulls up for three in such a ballsy way. Um, he doesn't back people down. I obviously he doesn't like run around screens, but I can't think of a player recently that just launches threes without abandon right in a defender's face. And it still goes in. Um, it's not the right answer. Um, but as I was thinking through this throughout the day, there's something gaudy and wonderful about Tatum launching from three that reminds me of like peak Steph Curry. Um, okay. So Gary Goldman, I gave you a prompt. I don't know if you have an answer, but what's your reaching back and in, deep into the past or even into the present at Jason Tatum player comp? I mean, he, he has certain aspects of, of Bradley Beal's game in him and some, some Kobe moves, but he's just the, – the thing that I, that, that I think will, will be something that we'll marvel at in the, in the coming years is, is he has a durability like, like LeBron James. I mean, he is a very muscular, broad yeah. guy. And, I mean, I, I, they call it a, a stinger – but it reminds me of something that that LeBron James would would play through because of his his musculature and and a lot of, I mean, from my generation, basketball players avoided the weights. They were afraid it was going to hurt their jump shot and everything like that. But the the great thing about the the inclusion in in training of of weight training is is that it's made these guys more durable and and made their recovery quicker so i i i mean jt has has a lot of lebron in him especially when he's bringing the ball in he he has so many aspects of so many great games it's it's hard to to narrow him down to one guy i mean there 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 he has great touch around the rim like like irving there was a there was a reverse layup the other night that i thought because here's the interesting thing i showed a kid that i play basketball at the Harlem Y with, I showed him that famous Julius Irving reverse against the Lakers in the 1980 series. And then he showed me five other moves on YouTube that were either similar or, or a little bit better. And I thought, Oh, we only had one really to point to back then. So there are guys doing these, these extraordinary things night to night, maybe not in the championship series, which made Dr. J so 
I, iconic, but I, I, I feel like JT, I mean, the best compliment you can give a, a performer or a comedian is you remind me of no one. And, and I, I don't think I, I just, I started looking at some of, some of uh, Tatum's highlights at Duke. And what was interesting was he was doing against those kids as a freshman, what he has now been able to do in the NBA, which is kind of overpower them and, and, and take, take impact and still lay it in or, or, or make those turnarounds. I mean, his baseline game is, is just extraordinary. Those are such tough shots that he's making and he's, he's often at least one man in his face sometimes with a guy doubling down. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away with, with his, with his learning curve. And I, I've been saying this for years We're we're so fortunate. I love the 2008 team. They were put together. They, they, other than Paul Pierce, those guys didn't start off together. And we have this, this wonderful thing where we've been able to see Marcus and Rob Williams and Grant Williams and JB and JT and Peyton Pritchard, just, just as, as rookies. And and it's, it's a true gift. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm welcoming the, the bandwagon people, but this is, this is, this is not surprising to me. This, this, and if anything, it's happening a little bit sooner than I, than I, thought it would. I, I thought this might be a bridge year and then next year. I'm, I'm so excited. I say this every year, but this is my favorite Celtics team since 86. <laughs> All right, uh, Alex, go. You're muted. For Saatchi Wellness, this is Eloquis Radio. Spot title NVAF What's Next 60 Radio. At a DPFEQ 3006000, like 30 seconds, mixed at Harbor on March 1st, 2023. <laughs> I can't wait for what's next. Even with higher stroke risk due to atrial fibrillation in a regular heartbeat not caused by a heart valve problem. Eliquis, the Pixaban tablets, reduces stroke risk. It's the number one cardiologist prescribed blood thinner. Don't stop taking prescription Eliquis without talking to your doctor as this may increase your risk of stroke. Eliquis can cause serious and in rare cases fatal bleeding. Don't take Eliquis if you have an artificial heart valve, abnormal bleeding, or have antiphospholipid syndrome. While taking, you may bruise more easily or take longer for bleeding to stop. A spinal injection while on Eliquis increases risk of blood clots, which may cause paralysis, the inability to move. Get medical help right away for unexpected bleeding or unusual bruising, or if you have tingling, numbness, or muscle weakness. It may increase your bleeding risk if you take medicines such as aspirin products, NSAIDs, SSRIs, SNRIs, and blood thinners. Tell your doctor about all planned medical or dental procedures. Learn more at Eliquis.com or call 1-855-ELIQUIS. Well, because Alex is muted. Hey, no, 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 no. I got you. Um, so, uh, it's interesting, Gary, that you bring up his Duke footage. I was actually watching a little bit of Jason Tatum Duke footage the other day myself. And I think if you're going to compare Jason Tatum to any historical players, I'm actually going to go back to another high-end Duke prospect who was taken number three overall and was widely considered to be one of the great college players of his time. I think Jason Tatum is a lot like, what if Grant Hill doesn't get injured? Um and I think there's that for a lot of reasons. I think uh, the big thing that stands out is physically they're very similar. They both got long arms, rangy athletes who can cover a huge amount of ground in a short amount of time with really good footwork. Um, their offensive games are both 
they are both high powered scorers who can also pass and rebound and affect the game in other ways. Grant Hill was a good defender prior to his injury as well. Um, the differences between Jason Tatum and Grant Hill in a lot of ways come down to the fact that A, Grant Hill got hurt in the NBA and uh, in a way that was lingering and kind of derailed his trajectory as a true superstar. And B, he never had surrounding talent uh, like Jason Tatum did. Um, but I think there's a lot of similarities to their game. And if there's any kind of historical comp for Jason Tatum that I can think of, the first six or so years of Grant Hill's career uh, are really stand out to me. That's really good. I was yeah. actually going to follow up uh, Gary by saying that I, I agree very strongly that making a comp for Tatum is very hard. And that's about as good of a comp I can, that I've heard, honestly, because he is just like a sponge. He pulls in elements of whatever players he admires, whoever he works with, and he does it really fast. Like his game changes very rapidly compared to a lot of players who add stuff over years. He adds stuff over months to his game, which is just very exciting to see because he's clearly not even close to done developing even now. Yeah, uh, to quote the great Bo Burnham, he's incomparable. He's like a... All right, so let's talk about game six. Um, and yeah, that, that's a Bo Burnham joke, not a camera joke. Um, we oh, Let's not get too eager, but we are looking at Celtics team one win away from a trip to the NBA Finals, the first that Boston would have since 2010. Gary, it's just one game. What are the keys to victory, as best you can tell, uh, for the Boston Celtics game six Friday night at home? I, I think the, the difference between the first half and the second half last night and the, and the, and the quarters that they've been beaten has been the, the turnovers and the, the taking care of the, taking care of the ball. I, th- I think they've played even, even when they were giving up offensive rebounds last night, they were playing really good defense until they weren't able to, to, to clean the glass. But I, I, I really think that, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are fans of the movie Swingers. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> okay, so there's a there's a moment where they're telling John Favreau how he's a big bear and he has these big claws, and there's a bunny. He's not sure how to how to attack the bunny. He's got these big claws in it, and it's almost like I I saw last night in the second half that the Celtics realized, oh, we're a lot better than this team, especially especially as the, as the series goes along and they're worn out and they're, and they're tired and they're playing every other night and, and we're playing every other night, but we're, we're younger and we're a little bit healthier. And also, I mean, I, I hate to think that there could be any, any kind of mental letdown at this, at this level, especially a team like Miami, but it, it almost feels like the, the Celtics got down by 30, and there wasn't a moment where I was like, they're, they're, they're going to, I knew they were going to make that comeback that came very close. A couple of makes here and there and a, a, a the inbounds play that, that was, that was screwed up. I, I think that could have been either sent into overtime and we lose by two or three. And the thing I've seen in this Miami team is they get down big. They don't make that, they don't make that run, especially the last two games. It's, it's, uh, it's, the other thing is that that I, I I wouldn't be surprised if if um, 
if you find out after the series, well, these injuries were much more significant than they were letting on. So that, that happens sometimes. And I, I, I admire that, but I, I, um, I, I don't want it to discount the, the Celtics achievement. Yeah. Uh, Justin. So building off of that, I, I do think that Bam Adebayo is injured. I, I think that, Mm-hmm. The people who are saying that he is afraid of Robert Williams, I think that he is respectful of Robert Williams, but there has not been the same swagger, the same aggressiveness that we have seen from him in the past. And yes, there aren't the same people to pick on and the scheming is making it harder for him to do what he does well. But I, I do suspect that even if we don't count Bam among them, that the injuries are much more significant For me, the key to victory in this series really is just the key to victory of playoff basketball for the last several decades, which is the half-court offense wins and transition offense is unreliable at this level of the playoffs because it's gameable, it's schemable, and we're seeing it happen in real time. The Miami Heat are basically the NBA version of this one weird trick the Celtics hate, basically. Uh, They're 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 very very good at getting the ball out of your hands and creating offense in transition but if you stop that they don't really have anything significant like they have they have Jimmy when he's healthy and even when he's healthy i don't think it would have been enough had they been able to focus on controlling the ball as they should have in the second half of last night's game um if they had played like that for the entire season this would have been at most five games for the series in the season. All right, Alex. Um, so if thinking about game six and like ways that Miami could win, ah, man, this Heat team is so beat up. Guys like Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler just really haven't had the same burst or explosiveness uh, that we saw from them even as early as the first couple of games. Boston's defense seems like it's really closing down driving lanes, forcing Bam into difficult shots. There's not a lot of ways out for Miami. I'm not going to say it's over because they can win, uh, particularly if Boston is care, care, uh, careless with the ball and kind of sloppy. But to be totally honest, the only path that I really see for Miami is if they just go ballistic from deep, like Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, PJ Tucker all start hitting at the exact same time. And even then, I don't know that that's a super sustainable plan for them, especially given that, frankly, um, while Jimmy is hurt, and obviously like when Jimmy Butler is playing well and healthy, he's a really, really difficult player to guard. While he's playing in this kind of compromised manner, he has honestly been a net negative for them on offense uh, to the point where he is pulling possessions and shots away from other guys that might be able to get their rhythm going. You know, one thing I noticed as I was watching the game last night is that Gabe Vincent was quietly having a pretty good game, but he was also getting visibly frustrated out on the floor I think in large part because he was not being involved enough in the offense as he thought he should be. And, you know, Gabe Vincent had some moments there where it looked like he could kind of turn up and carry Miami for stretches, but uh, that evaporated in the second half in large part, I think, because uh, when he was out there, he wasn't getting the ball and he was off the floor a lot while they were trying to get Lowry in rhythm. I I think if Miami is going to win, I don't see how they can do it with Kyle Lowry on the floor. He just doesn't 
look anywhere close to right. I mean, he's been, he hasn't made a shot in like two games, you know, yeah. this guy just can't play at the level that Boston is playing at right now. And I think their best chance is to change the lineups, throw everything at the wall and just hope that they can get hot from deep. Um, so my, my key for Boston, uh, Gary, you kind of touched on it is the Celtics are the better team. And I think that they sometimes forget, forget that, but they're also the younger team. So they don't really know what to do with it. Um, so I, I fear that game six will start in a predictable way, which is the Celtics will kind of act like they've been there, but in all the wrong ways. And we'll see them kind of complaining at the wrong time to the refs, um, not really running their stuff. And like, we'll need Derek white and Al Horford to kind of keep things afloat. Um, I do think that talent will win out. I mean, we just compared Jason Tatum to LeBron and Grant Hill and Steph Curry. Uh, so they have a pretty talented guy in JT. Um, they've got, they've got the personnel. I mean, with great respect to the Miami Heat, with great respect to the G League program, this is not a finals team. Um, even at full tilt, at full health, nah, not really, right? Um, so I think Boston, the key to victory is to neither get the yips nor be too casual, um, really shoot the gap of, you know, earn the victory, but um, know that you, you deserve to earn that victory. Um, all right. I'm going to keep it moving. We'll get out of here shortly. I'm going to give you all like I've been doing this whole time, a few prompts and I want you to fill in the gaps. Um, I'm going to start with something Alex already touched on, but very briefly, uh, Gary, I'll go to you first. Miami's uh, path to victory for the series is. I, I think they will have to be be knocking down threes at a at a uh, historic level. I I think sometimes if you if you're if your legs aren't enabling you to get into the lane and and overpower people, you can sit back and snipe away from threes, and sometimes that will open up things, and and they'll have to double you and and pass and close out, and you can up fake your way into into closer shots. But I I. I've, I found that any time Miami had an opportunity to, to make up some ground quickly, they, they would miss a three badly. And, it, and, yeah. it, and when the way they were missing it, it, it felt like, oh, the, their, their legs are, were not strong enough to, to make their, their form work right. Yeah, I mean, go ask Dallas what happens when you don't hit your threes. Uh, Justin, Miami's key to victory. I don't know that there is one, but if it were possible, I think that the, you know, I I don't want to be incredibly boring and say that three point shooting is critical, but it is. And I think that more aggression, more point BAM, more involving BAM in actions than he has been. That's really the only way because he's, as far as we know, the only star ish player they have left that isn't actually hobbled right now. So it's got to start with BAM. Uh, Alex, you you gave us a little bit of what you're thinking about Miami. You want to give us a little on Boston? Sure. Um, I think that for the plan for Boston has got to be exactly what Justin just kind of mentioned. Stay out of your own way. Don't commit stupid turnovers. Don't give Miami a chance to get in this game in the first place. If they play the way that they're supposed to play and the way that they have been playing, I think that they're going to be totally fine. But the key is lock in on defense early regardless of what's happening with your offense the Celtics were able to keep yesterday's game close because they had a tremendous defensive effort in the first half 
and then the dam broke open in the second half. So whatever you do, if the shots are not falling, if the turnovers are happening, as Ime Udoka has been banging the drum on for the entire year, stay the course defensively. Do not let your offensive performance affect how you defend. You should be defending the same way every time. If they do that, I don't see how they're not going to win this game. Um, I'll go back to Miami and I'm going to preempt the conspiracy theorists among us. Um, What Miami needs to do, and I suspect will try to do, is get physical, get in the paint, and get fouled. Victor Oladipo can kind of do it. Jimmy Butler might be too injured to do it. The Heat don't really have the personnel to do it, but I I think it's their only chance is to get to the foul line early, put Boston in um, the bonus early. Um, And uh, do do we know who's refing Friday night? We don't know yet. It's going to be... It's going to be someone with a track record because every ref who's been refing for a while has a track record. We know um, it's and- not going to be Scott Foster who will be refing tonight in Golden State. All right. Well, in any event, I suspect that Miami needs to get to the free throw line. And if that is a path to victory um, for Miami, it's not a conspiracy. It's a, a tactic that a basketball team is using. Um, but we'll see. It's very possible that it's a non-issue because the Celtics will clean up and go to the finals. Um, all right, I got three more. Let's do them really quick so we can get out of here uh, before 5.30. Uh, we don't have injury updates at this time, but our track record of getting Woj bombs on air has, has been pretty good, so someone interrupt me as needed. Gary, back to you. A potential Game 7 in Eastern Conference Finals leaves you feeling blank. Optimistic. I, I The Celtics haven't lost two games in a row this this. Uh, this postseason, and they that the last time they did it during the regular season was that weird Toronto Canada thing where I don't think some of the guys were vaccinated. So I'm not, I I don't think I don't think they're going to lose at the Garden. They'll say home court hasn't meant much in this series, but I think it I think it can, and so I don't think they'll lose in the Garden. But I would be optimistic for for a seventh game. I mean, it it it, it would remind me of the 1980 two or 83 Celtics who came back from a three, one deficit and lost to the Sixers in the seventh game and, and uh, broke my heart. So I, I think the Celtics could, could do that. I mean, they, they've just been so impressive with their backs against the wall that I, I don't, I don't think that's, that's something that's, that's beyond them. So I'm, it would leave me optimistic. All right. I like that. Um, Justin, I'll go to you. Well, it would leave me tired because that would be one, <laughs> one less night uh, that I would be able to go to bed earlier. Uh, but I would also be optimistic just because I don't think that there is a realistic path for the, this this Heat team to beat the Celtics two times, maybe once. I really doubt that too. But twice, I just don't see it happening. So I couldn't be anything but optimistic either. Alex? Um, if we're, uh, I would feel very confused if we're talking about a game seven, because, um, folks, I got news for you. I don't think there's going to be a game seven and I'm knocking on wood as I'm saying that. So, uh, don't blame me, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't see a path to Miami winning game six, unless a lot of things break the right way for them. Uh, a potential game seven in the Eastern conference finals would make me bear with me, would make me thankful. Um, we spend the entire calendar year talking about, oh, they should trade this guy to get to this to this playoffs. Like all we do is talk about the end game. We never bask in the glory of the end game. 
Um, and I love the Celtics and I hope they win all the basketball games forever. Um, but I love the NBA and game seven. I mean, those are the two best words in sports. Uh, so it would leave me feeling frightened and panicked, but also thankful. Um, uh, we'll talk about the, the dubs briefly. Uh, man, would a Warriors Celtics finals be dope. Um, but a Warriors heat finals would be cool too. I'm just thankful that basketball is being played in front of my eyes. Um, all right, we got two more and then we're done here. Uh, Justin, I need your help. Is the Larry Bird uh, Eastern Conference MVP trophy only awarded to a, a winner a winner, or can anyone win it? I believe it does have the same ability to be available to the losing team, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, okay. It's a little legalese. Okay, um, Gary, the Larry Bird, the inaugural Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals MVP trophy will be awarded to... Ooh, this is a this is a great question, and I'm going to have to say it will be awarded to Jason Tatum. It's all that ruffles money, um, Justin. Or well, yeah, Justin, you go. Alex, you can get the next one second. You're gonna like my answer because it's Al Horford. Oh, cool, Al Horford. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. The, so there's been a lot of talk about him being the most playoff games of any active player who hasn't made it to the finals and even if he wasn't going to be considerably richer by the guarantees in his contract I am pretty sure we would have seen this kind of performance from him just so he can have that on his resume and I I just don't see how any in any round and particularly this round uh how the Celtics could have weathered the storms when things were going the absolute worst for them because as we know, the Heat, they feed off of it, right? And he has been the level head that has held things together at the worst moments when, when things were ready to break open in the last game even. Uh, so for me, nobody has done a more consistent job. Even if it's not a sexy of a job, go out Holford, uh, than him. Sometimes it's sexy, that block and the... I'm not talking about the eyes. I'm talking about the play. Yeah. Uh, Alex, the inaugural winner of the Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals MVP award will go to whoever between Al Hartford and Jason Tatum has a better game six. And that's literally like it's it's really close between both of those guys. I think you can make a very strong, incredible argument for either one. And so whoever ultimately carries the Celtics to victory and maybe it will be like neither of them. Maybe it'll be Jalen Brown has 40 again or something like that. But I'm I'm kind of of the belief that given that the Celtics have largely won through team effort and through good performances from multiple players rather than singular performances from one player. I just think whoever has the best game six is walking away with it. Um, how many points would Derek White need to score in game six for him to win that award? Like over 50? <laughs> if Derek White gets 50 points, he can have it by all means. <laughs> Ooh, that's what I'm, that's my prediction. Uh, I suspect it's Tatum because he's the star. Uh, a 30 burger from Brown might put it over. It really depends. Um, but yeah, it's probably going to go to a Celtic, I think. I hope we don't jinx anything. All right. Gary Goldman, you are on the uh, Born on Third Base Tour, where uh, folks in the Pacific Northwest and down in LA can find you in the next few weeks. And I got one last question for you. I'll, I'll model the answer to the prompt. Uh, I'm going to ask you who's going to win the NBA finals in how many games and why. And the answer would look something like this. 
the Dallas Mavericks will beat the Miami Heat in six games because if you can believe it, Luka Doncic goes nuts. Um, that's that's an example of an answer, not my answer. Uh, to Gary Goldman, first of all, thanks for coming on. You're always welcome on. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm honored. I love this podcast, and, I, and you guys are such thoughtful people outside of the the basketball knowledge, which I'm I I'm in awe of. But but you're really thoughtful, kind people. So that's important. Well, thank you. Um, okay. now, so, now I'm painfully blushing. Um, okay, Gary, tell me who wins the NBA Finals. Okay, so I think the the Warriors will hold off the the Mavericks. I think. The who who will have home court advantage? Celtics. Just barely the Warriors. The Just Celtics are the, Warriors. the Celtics okay. are the road team the rest of the way, regardless of who they're playing. Okay. Okay. So I, I think that the uh the the Celtics will split in in Golden State. They will then uh take two of three. At at home, right? Because it's still a two three two, mm-hmm. um, so that will make it. Uh, no, uh, it'll be a, a two two one one one. Oh, it's two two one one one. Oh man. Okay, so the the Celtics will split with Golden State, take the two at home at the at the Garden, and then they will uh, close them out in the in the sixth game at home. Love it. Uh, Alex. Well, uh, you know, Gary, you talked a lot about how we know basketball, but the take that you just dropped is proving that you know basketball because (laughs) that's exactly what's going to happen. Boston Celtics in six over the Golden State Warriors. The reason being because their length and physicality on the wing and their general identity as the singular best defensive team in the league is too much for Golden State to overcome in a competitive series. For me, uh, my my wallet will most appreciate uh, anything involving the Celtics. Uh, My fandom obviously will involve anything that ends in the Celtics having more titles to their name than the Los Angeles Lakers. And that's all I'm going to say. Cool. Man, um, I love rooting for the Warriors. Uh, Big Smokey is my favorite NBA player. Rocco is my favorite NBA dog. It's not really the Celtics time, but I'm feeling exuberant Celtics in seven um, because they have the, the athleticism and the defense, big win for defense. Um, but hey, if they lose to our generation's best team, that's not so bad. All right. Um, Gary, again, welcome on anytime. Folks who haven't should check out all of your specials. Just put them on repeat while you fall asleep. Um, keep an eye out for but Gary's in town. You're in New England in the fall. Is that correct? In Connecticut? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I usually do something in, in Boston and, and on the North shore in Massachusetts once a year. So yeah, just sign up for Gary Gullman's newsletter at Gary And I, and I will say that, that uh, to your point, Cam, I, I think that the, the Warriors are, are the best team right now, but I feel like the Celtics could be, uh, over the next five years, I, I think they could t- take two, maybe even three NBA championships. And and just uh, the I, I've noticed over the years of watching basketball, even in, in college, that sometimes a, a team needs to go far 
to figure out that it's not that scary. It's not any different and, and they feel more comfortable. And I, I think that at the very least, the Celtics are, are getting that this year and it's going, going to lessen the, the pressure and the unfamiliarity in, in the next few years. So I'm, 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 I'm bully about the, the, the Celtics over the next five, six years. All right. You heard it here first five to six more years of fun podcasting. Yeah. I, I feel bad for the folks that, um, the Magic Lab and the Rockets Lab that they have the podcast about. Don't feel bad. On, the Magic Lab, they've got the number one pick. They're taking Jabari Smith. It's going to be great. That's true. That's content. It's all about just get the content out. It doesn't matter if it's good. All right, uh, Gary Goldman, thanks so much for being here. Uh, thanks, thanks, everyone. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye.